This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Our first show features Judy Canova. She was an American comedian, actress, singer, and radio personality. She also appeared on Broadway and in films. She hosted her own self-titled network radio program, a popular series broadcast from 43 to 1955. Judy began her show business career with a family vaudeville routine, joining her sister Annie and brother Zeke. Their performances as the Three Georgia Crackers took them from Florida theaters to the Village Barn, a Manhattan nightclub. Canova sang, yodeled, and played guitar, and she was typed as a wide-eyed, likable country bumpkin, often barefoot and wearing her hair in braids, sometimes topped with a straw hat. Sounds a bit like Minnie Pearl to me. Anyway, sometimes she was introduced as the Ozark Nightingale or the Jenny Lind of the Ozarks. When bandleader Rudy Valley offered the still-teenage Canova a guest spot on his radio show in 1931, the Fleischman Hour, the door opened to her career that spanned more than five decades. The popularity of the Canova family led to numerous performances on radio in the 30s, and they made their Broadway theater debut in their review called Calling All Stars. An offer from Warner Brothers led to several bit parts before she signed with Republic Pictures. As she recorded for RCA Victor label and appeared in more than two dozen Hollywood films, playing leading roles as well as supporting parts, including in all of these titles, Scatterbrain in 1940, Joan of Ozark in 42, and Lay That Rifle Down in 1955. In 1943, she began her own radio program, The Judy Canova Show, and that ran for 12 years. Well, let's join her now as uh, the episode is entitled, The Picnic, Judy Canova. Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Colgate Tooth Powder for a Breath That's Sweet present The Judy Canova Show with Mel Blank, Ruby Dandridge, Verna Felton, Joe Kearns, The Sportsman, Opie Cates and his orchestra, and starring Judy Canova. <laughs> A boy met a girl at a railroad station Their trains were an hour late And over a cup of coffee He begged her for a day She looked so demure and shy And then made this reply why don't you look me up down in Chichi Hachiwachi? Chichi Hachiwachi, my hometown. Why don't you look me up down 
Horseback riding and picnic supper party has been arranged in Brentwood. Handsome Benchley Botsford will be there, and Judy is all excited. As our scene opens, Judy is talking to Aunt Aggie. Aunt Aggie, I'm going to hang Benchley's picture up next to Van Johnson's. Oh, men, men, men. Judy, when you hung up Van Johnson's pictures, I told you not to use nails. Aunt Aggie, I don't need nails to keep his picture on the wall. My heavy breathing does it. <laughs> and you know, here, look at my hope chest. Hope chest? Why, Judy, that's only a cigar box. It's not much of a chest. Chuck's never had much hope. <laughs> well, I'm telling you right here now, if I play my cards right at this picnic, Benchley might ask me to marry him. Oh, Judy, wouldn't it be wonderful? Oh, I can see you now, going down the aisle, wearing a dress with a long train. No, no, my dress ain't gonna have no long train. Why not? Once I start heading for that altar, I don't want nothing around my ankles holding me back. <laughs> By the way, Judy, have you done your shopping for the picnic? Yeah, and again, I'm plumb wore out. I guess it was a mistake to let the neighbor's dog carry the meat home for me. If the dog helped you carry the bundle, why are you worn out? Well, I've been in the backyard all afternoon digging for pork chops. <laughs> Judy, that's ridiculous. Besides, at that exclusive picnic, pork chops will never do. Yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe I'd to get a chicken. A chicken? Oh, yes, that would be nice. Uh, do you want to pull it? Chucks, no, I'll carry it. <laughs> now, remember, dear. Remember now. It's important that you pack a nice lunch. Yeah, because the men are going to bid for the girls' lunches, and I want Benchley Botsford to get mine. Oh, then you should fix something appetizing, like, um, Limburger cheese souffle. Limburger mm -hmm. cheese? Yes, it's easy. You put it in the oven at 350 degrees, leave it in for 45 minutes, and forget it. Aunt Aggie, when you put that kind of cheese in an oven, you can't forget it. <laughs> hey, Miss Judith, look at this package you brought home. Why, what's wrong with it, Geranium? Well, I unwrapped it and unwrapped it, and there was nothing in it. Oh, Geranium, that was a roll of paper towels. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you 
getting absent-minded. I guess that's because I got a letter from Pomeroy today. You did? What did he say? Well, they're sending him over to help occupy Japan. But Pomeroy would rather have his old civilian job back. He ain't in favor of occupation. What was his old civilian job? No occupation. <laughs> picture of me in my new dress, and he says it makes me look graceful as a greyhound. <laughs> you mean the kind you bet on? No, honey, the kind you ride on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I better get back to the kitchen. I got a stew sitting on the stove. Well, let him set that till he sobers up. <laughs> Never mind putting the fork in a spaghetti bowl. Put in an egg beater instead. Okay. An egg beater, Judy? What do you need that for? Well, Aunt Aggie, when I eat spaghetti, I gotta have something to wind it with. <laughs> Pardon me for talking in your face, Senorita. Oh, hello, Pedro. What's on your mind? Well, Senorita, I'm worried about my cousin Roberto. He doesn't stop running around. His wife is going to leave him. That's too bad. He. He sure is going to miss her. <laughs> Senorita, I tried to elope with my girl last night. Still don't get it. You did, Pedro? Neither do I. See, <laughs> I put a ladder up to my girl's window, but her father caught me when I was halfway up the ladder. Golly, what'd you do? What could I do? I painted the side of the house. <laughs> I like to neck with my girl. She always says her kisses will send me. Do they? No, I'm too smart to go. Tasty manana, senorita. A tasty banana to you too, Pedro. Gosh, Aunt Aggie, I wonder if Benchley likes going on a picnic. Oh, yes, I hear he loves to. He loves to? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's even better than going on a picnic. <laughs> oh, there's the phone, Aunt Aggie. I'll answer it. I ain't afraid of them things no more. Howdy. This was your idea, so start talking. Miss Canova, this is Brenda Laverne. Where I come from, when we pick up a phone, we say, are you there? It's much simpler. Oh, I reckon you're right, Brenda. You say, are you there? Then if there ain't nobody there, there ain't no use going on with the conversation. <laughs> I called to tell you, Miss Canova, that you're wasting your time with Benchley Bobsford. You're not at all in his class socially. Well, shucks, are you? Indeed I am. I was born in a mansion at Bar Harbor. It's a real show place. Yes, that ain't nothing. They put a plaque on the house I was born in. You ought to see all the people stop and read it. Really? What does the plaque say? Rooms for rent. <laughs> Jay, tell me, how do you figure on when in Benchley you can't fix a picnic lunch? Perhaps not. But I baked a lovely fig pudding for him. A fig pudding? Shucks, that won't get you nowhere. I baked a fig pudding for a bunch of fellas back home once. Didn't they like it? No, they kept asking for dates. <laughs> Thank you.
That was Ann Canova playing her interpretation of the St. Louis Boogie. Well, it looks as though Brenda Laverne is going to give Judy a run for her money at the forthcoming picnic. As we look in on her now, Judy is talking to Aunt Aggie. Dolly, I sure wish I was a pin-up girl like Brenda Laverne. Pin-up girl, pin-up girl. Judy, I am sick and tired of hearing about pin-up girls. Yeah, me too. What I'd like is a man I can pin down. <laughs> now, Judy, you mustn't let Brenda give you an inferiority complex just because she has beauty and a fine education. I suppose she know, you know that she got her B.A. and Ph.D. at Vassar. Oh, shucks, that ain't nothing. Back in Cactus Junction grade school, I got an A.B. and an S.A.S. A.B. and S.A.S.? What's that? Absolute bonehead. Stay after school. <laughs> well, anyhow, I finally graduated and I got my sheepskin. Oh, your father must have been proud when you brought home that sheepskin. No, he wasn't. He looked at the sheepskin and he says, I bet they gave the smart kids the meat. <laughs> that is Judy. Miss Brennan LeBun is in the living room. Shall I show her in? Yeah, Geranium, you show her in and I'll show her up. Okay. Well, Miss Canova, I must say you're wearing an odd writing habit. Are those supposed to be jeans? Jeans? Jokes, no, everything I got on belongs to me. <laughs> you know, we're having a riding contest at the picnic this afternoon. Have you done much riding? Well, no. The last time I went horseback riding, every time I said get up, the horse backed up. When I said back up, he went forward. I must have made a very stupid horse. No, it wasn't his fault. I was sitting on him backwards. <laughs> eventually will be impressed with my fancy riding. By riding at full speed, I can pick up a handkerchief with my teeth. You know, I tried that once, and I almost had to pick up my teeth with a handkerchief. <laughs> <laughs> After the horseback riding has been over, the men were bid for the lunches we packed, and the finest lunch will attract the most eligible man. Yeah, I know. You know, the quickest way to a man's heart is through his stomach. So I put delicious molasses cookies in my lunch. Yeah, but molasses is kind of slow. I baked a hasty pudding. <laughs> Here, you want to taste one of my cookies? Thank you. Oh, my, it tastes terrible. Benchley won't like these. You left out the baking soda. Oh, that don't make no difference. He'll have to take that later anyhow. <laughs> well, Miss Canova, I'll see you later. I'm warning you. I have my cap set for Benchley, too. And remember, opportunity knocks. No, it don't. It parks out in front and honks the horn. <laughs> Say, Geranium, I got to pack a lunch and brush up on my horseback riding. You got to help me. Honey, I can't ride a horse. The only horse I ever rode was a draft horse. A draft horse? Yeah, I couldn't get a volunteer. <laughs> Super for the picnic. I think I'll bake me a snow cake. A snow cake, Miss Judy? How do you make it? Well, first you take a pound of ice and cover it with molasses. Mm. Then you put it in the oven for 20 minutes. For 20 minutes? Then what? Snow cake. <laughs> I sure want to look my best tonight, because after the picnic, we're going to play Pony Express Post Office. Yoo! Pony Express Post Office? Hey, what's that? That's kissing by slow stages. Oh. <laughs> I ain't in 
no hurry anyhow. I ain't going nowhere. Yeah, I know that game too. You know that, honey? Yeah, you're kissing poles. Then you're kissing poles. Well, the fellas can kiss me, but they better keep the paws to themselves. <laughs> Pardon me for talking in your face, senorita. Oh, hello, Pedro. Did you get the car ready to drive me to the picnic? See, si, and I fixed the front fender so they won't get bumped up in front anymore. Oh, good. You did? How? I put him in back. <laughs> Pedro, you probably ruined them. You better go and put them back where they belong. See, I will go now. I hope something I shouldn't be doing wasn't what I did, and if I hadn't been doing it when I wasn't, then I can prove it. Shut the door yourself, Count. <laughs> How'd you get in here, anyhow? Oh, Sherry, I love you. Doors cannot stop me. Walls cannot stop me. Nothing can stop me. Only your face. <laughs> He's on my mind. <laughs> Say, are you going to the picnic, too, Count? Oui, Sherry, oui. We, not me. I'm going with somebody else. <laughs> you must go with me, Sherry. Oh, by the way, tell me, how do I look in my cowboy outfit, huh? Well, I count. There ain't no seat in those woolly trousers. But, Sherry, these are cowboy shots. They are built that way. Shucks, for a minute I thought France was being liberated again. <laughs> tell me, why'd you come over here anyhow? Oh, I came here to offer a bid on your picnic lunch. Oh, Count, I don't want to sell my lunch to you. Oh, Sherry, I will start the bidding. I offer you one franc. Never mind, Frank. Just bring on Benchley Bosford. <laughs> no, Sherry, the franc is French money. I want to start the bidding. Have you never been to an auction? Just one time. I did some bidding on a pirate once at an auction, but somebody kept raising the bid. Yes? Yep, I bid $20, somebody else bid 25 Then I bid $30, somebody else bid $35. But I finally got the parrot for 50 bucks. Hmm. Could the parrot talk, Sherry? Could he talk? Who do you think was bidding against me? <laughs> Count, tell me, why are you so interested in me? Oh, because your face reminds me of the stars in the heaven. Really, Count? Like the stars? Yes. Your eyes are like Jupiter. Your cute little nose is like Venus. And your mouth is like seven lovely stars strung together. Count, you get out of here. Now, get out. Oh, but Julie, I only said that your mouth is like seven stars. Yeah, I know. It's a big dipper. <laughs> and now, here's Judy to sing a little song for you. I was wrong, dear, when I left you. Oh, I was wrong. Turn you down Never dreamed How much I'd miss you Till my head Started spinning round and round Oh, I was wrong To say goodbye Never thought You'd make me cry Oh, I found out Since I've been gone You were right Little darling, I was wrong I was wrong to ever leave you You're the only love I've known I was wrong 
to ever greet you. Take me back in your arms where I belong. Oh, I was wrong. Go away. Please believe me when I say, oh, I found out since I've been gone. You are right, little darling, I was wrong. Well, Judy's in the kitchen with geranium, preparing a picnic lunch she hopes Benchley will bid for. Golly, geranium, when Benchley Bosford tastes this cake I baked, I bet he kisses me and just won't be able to break away. Why, honey, your kiss is that good. No, but I'll have marshmallow frosting all over my mouth. <laughs> Gee, when Benchley comes over here on his way to picnic, maybe I can keep him all to myself. You mean keep him away from this, Brenda? Honey, how can you do that? I'm going to sprinkle myself with some of this new perfume. Boy, it sure affects men. Yeah, what kind of perfume is it? It's called Atomic Bomb Number Five. <laughs> One squirt and they flirt. <laughs> Why, when I bought it, I had to sign a paper releasing the store from all responsibility. My goodness, Miss Judy, look again. What happened to that rice pudding you was making? It's all burnt up. Yeah, I can't understand it. I did just what the recipe said. Yeah, what did it say? It said, bring to a boil on a brisk fire, stir for two minutes, then beat it for ten minutes. Then what? Just when I come back in ten minutes, it was burnt to a crisp. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> kind of silly, ain't it? Hard-boiled eggs would have been easier to cook, but there wasn't any eggs in the hen house. Yeah, but this dude, I heard those chickens cackling. Oh, that was a false alarm, geranium. What do you mean, false alarm? Well, if a hen cackles when she's sitting, she's laying. But if she cackles when she's sitting, she's lying. <laughs> Gee, I sure hope Benchley likes my lunch. Gosh, maybe that's Benchley now. I'll answer the door. Hello, who are you? <laughs> Hello, remember me? I'm Walter. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember you. You're the new fellow who moved in at the head of the block. Yeah, that's me, Walter the Blockhead. <laughs> Hey, you want to know something? Eh, you appeal for me. <laughs> I do, oh, shucks. I bet you're just saying that. Oh, no, I like you. Hey, I even brought you a picnic lunch. I packed it myself. What I mean, I... I packed it. <laughs> you did? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I had to sit on it to get the lid closed. <laughs> I shouldn't have put that pineapple in there, though. Yeah, look, I, I got a malted milk for you. Where? It's right here in my pocket. A malted milk in your pocket? Yeah. Hey, that's funny. It was here a minute ago. <laughs> Gee, I told that fellow not to make it so thin. <laughs> hey, well, I, I got to go to the picnic now. I got I to gotta, I gotta go to, to the picnic. I, well, I hope you have a good time. Oh, I will. I, you know, I like horseback riding parties. Last time my horse kicked me in the face. <laughs> Boy, could we have laughs. Gosh, everything happens to me. I wonder how he got by Winchester the butler. Oh, Winchester. Oh, yes, Miss Canova. How did that fellow get in the front door? Well, you see, his entrance was so precipitous, I was unable to remonstrate with him. 
Huh? You see, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't cognizant of his imminence until he had placed himself in a juxtaposition to the vestibule by his ambidextrous manipulation. Is there anything else you'd like to know, Miss Canova? Yeah, how did he get in the front door? Miss <laughs> <laughs> Canova, I heard about your date with Mr. Bosford. Do you think he likes you? Well, Winchester, I ain't sure, but every time he sees me in a sweater, he says, Oh, boy. See, I wish I looked more like a girl. <laughs> Miss Judy, Mr. Bishop Boston is here. Oh, hello, Judy. My, but you look wonderful. I do? Yes, if I do say so myself, you and Lana Turner and Betty Grable are sisters under the skin. You know, one of my other fellas told me that, too. He did? Yep. But he told me to crawl back under the skin and send out one of my sisters. <laughs> Say, Benchley, are you ready to bid on my picnic lunch? You mean before the other fellows have a chance? Why not? The Count already offered me one franc. Oh, but it wouldn't be fair. I have too many scruples. Scruples? Say, don't either one of you fellas got any American money? <laughs> Judy, you're so naive, so cute. I could love you. You could? Yes, Judy. I could love you terribly. Well, come around when you've improved your technique. <laughs> you misunderstand. I know a thousand ways to kiss a girl. Would you like to learn a few? A few? Chef, show me a whole bunch. <laughs> oh, Judy, you say such cute things. For two pins, I'd grab you and kiss you. Well, here, take these. My hair always comes down anyhow. <laughs> Gee, Benchley, why do you want to kiss me? Well, kissing is a natural expression of love, Judy. Now, look at those two lovebirds in their cage, billing and cooing. Why can't we do that? Well, do you think there's room enough for us up there? <laughs> uh, Judy, when the moon is high tonight, we'll have a wonderful time at the picnic. Eventually, I can't go to the picnic and go horseback riding. That's why I want you to bid for the lunch here. Well, why can't you go horseback riding? Well, you see, I had a little accident today of baking bread. I put in the flour, the yeast, the salt, sugar, and shortening, and then I guess I must have misunderstood the cookbook. What do you mean? Well, the book said, set on stove until the bread rises. <laughs> what happened? I rose before the bread did. <laughs> Well, folks, now that the war is over, we're all going through a period of reconversion. Some of us won't have as much money as others, but not having as much money as the next feller ain't so bad if you don't spend what you got trying to prove you got more than him. Besides, you can't buy happiness with money anyhow. You know, I, I get a lot of happiness just singing a little old song my mama used to sing to me. Go to sleepy little baby. Go to sleepy little baby. When you wake, you patty patty cake and ride a shiny little pony. Daddy's coming home, baby. Daddy's coming home, baby. Stop your crying, daddy will be buying you a shiny little pony. Hush, bye, little baby. Bye, bye, little baby. Daddy's gonna be home with you and me. Then you'll never be so lonely. Go to sleep, little baby. Go to sleep, little baby. When you wake, you patty patty cake and ride a shiny little pony. 
Rock a baby in the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. Down will come, baby, cradle and ball. Hush, bye, little baby. Bye, bye, little baby. Daddy's gonna be home with you and me. Then we'll never be so lonely. Oh, go to sleep, little baby. Go to sleep, little baby. When you wake, you patty, patty cake and ride a shiny little pony. Go to sleep, little baby. Go to sleep, little baby. When you wake, you patty, patty cake and ride a shiny little pony. Folks, it was awfully nice being with you tonight, and I hope we'll all be together again next Saturday night. In the meantime, please don't forget the two products that bring us together each week, palm olive soap and Colgate tooth powder, the bestest in the world. This is Judy Canova from Hollywood saying, Good night, soldier, wherever you may be. My heart's lonely without Stay tuned for The Shadow, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Shadow, next on Theater of the Mind. (laughs) Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? (laughs) The Shadow knows. Shadow, Lamont Cranston, a man of wealth, a student of science, and a master of other people's minds, devotes his life to righting wrongs, protecting the innocent, and punishing the guilty. Cranston is known to the underworld as the Shadow. Never seen, only heard. His true identity is known only to his constant friend and aide, Margot Lane. Today's story, The Tenor with the Broken Voice.
just adore hearing tell you. It seems to be the most... How are you? How are This is delightful. I'm so glad we're going to hear Pagliacci. It's my favorite opera. This beautiful, Marco. You know, they say this young tenor, Hagen Radkoff, is a gorgeous voice. I hear he's marvelous. Mm. He should be magnificent in that closing aria of the first act. Best in Ajuba. Mm. That's Broadcast from that same opera house where Hagen Radkoff's voice cracked during the closing aria, the first act we heard last week. Yes. Too bad. Just as Radkoff had reached the end of the long ladder that leads to fame, boy should fail. But, Margot, I'm not quite sure that we've seen the end of that tragedy. Why, what do you mean, Lamont? Just that a great tragedy invariably has repercussions. You might like it to throwing a stone in a quiet pond. There's never just one ripple. But a wave of them. Well, I'm afraid I'm becoming morbid. Uh-huh. Who's singing the tenor row in Fayati tonight? No? Harley Fitz. Oh, he has quite a lovely voice, too, hasn't he? This is that same aria that Hagen uh, Radcliffe's voice cracked on last week. Turn up the radio a bit, Margot. Thank <laughs> you. 
exposed. Huh? There's been a tragedy at the opera. A sandbag fell from the ceiling, hitting Harley Fisk, the tenor, killing him instantly. Oh. We now return you to our studios. Oh, Lamont, how ghastly. See, my dears, I said, ripples of the stone falling in the quiet pond, starting to spread. Then you think this has a connection with what happened to Radkoff last week? This is no time to think, Margot. I'm going to investigate. Oh, Lamont, can the shadow never rest? Not as long as crime and outrage never rest. <laughs> Commissioner Weston? Yes? This is Clyde Burke of the Classic. Say, Commissioner, what about the death of Harley Fisk at the Opera House last night? Well, what about it? A very regrettable accident. Maybe. But listen, Commissioner, there's a story in here somewhere. Just the week before, Hagen Ratkoff was singing that same song when he lost his voice for a good. Yes, I know that. Well, we figured on running a story on how maybe that song is jinxed. And we wanted a statement from you. You know, they're planning to do the same opera again tomorrow night. Of all the cheap sensationalism. You can't expect me to be a party to such a story. Why not? Good day, Mr. Burke. Commissioner Weston. You sign these orders for the topic at them? Yes. Uh... Hello. Good morning, Commissioner Weston. Oh, it's you, Shadow. What do you want now? I have some suggestions for you. You know they are doing Payachi again tonight. So I've been told. Weston, you must be sure at least two squads of detectives cover every section of the opera house. Afraid there'll be trouble again during the singing of the closing aria. No, I won't do that, Shadow. Weston, you're a very foolish man. There's catastrophe in the cars for tonight. You can prevent it if you follow my instructions. Shadow, I don't need you or any other man to tell me how to run this office. Commissioner Weston, didn't your grandmother ever tell you that old saying, there are none so blind as those who will not see? My grandmother did, and again I say it is absolutely imperative that you have a detail guarding the opera tonight. It's absolutely ridiculous, and I'm too busy to discuss it any further. You know, my husband usually goes to sleep every time we come here to the opera house. But tonight, my dear, he's positively sitting on the edge of his chair. Oh, can you blame him? Well, Henry, do you think the tragedies will repeat themselves? Well, no, in a few minutes. Curtain's just about to go up on the first act. Yes, yes, so I understand. Oh, say, isn't that Commissioner Weston coming in? Hey, George, it is. Well, say, maybe there is something in this after all. Oh, uh, good evening, Commissioner. Good evening. Good evening. You here to try and stop another tragedy, Commissioner? Absurd. There's nothing to that tragedy nonsense. I'm here solely to listen to the music, and I wouldn't have even done that if my wife hadn't insisted. Did you hear what he said? Well, I guess there's nothing to it, then. We could have stayed home and played this, too. Yeah. Well, I wonder if it'll happen. Oh, 
Shadow makes a false step now, he'll be playing right into the hands of his enemy. And remember, every time you drive in the rain on worn, smooth tires, you may be playing into the hands of a dangerous kid. Who knows what may happen? The shadow knows. Beware. Thousands killed or injured. Cars wrecked. That's the price American motorists pay every year when tires lose their grip and skid on wet, slippery pavements. Yes, motorists. Don't risk that sickening, pit-of-the-stomach feeling that comes when your car suddenly swerves out of control. For remember, this new Goodrich Silvertown is the only tire with the lifesaver tread. The amazing skid protection that will stop you quicker, safer in a wet road emergency than you've ever stopped before. The nation's largest independent testing laboratory proved this by testing this new Silvertown against both regular and premium price tires of the five other leading tire manufacturers. The engineers of the impartial Pittsburgh Testing Laboratory found that no tire tested, regardless of price, came up to the Goodrich Silvertown in skid resistance. And when you know that Silvertowns also give you the famous Golden Ply blowout protection, is it any wonder that it's called the safest thing on wheels? Put Goodrich Safety Silvertowns on your car now and play safe. Gentlemen, we have called this meeting of the board of directors of the opera company because we feel that there now exists a crisis and we directors must come to an immediate decision. You're all aware... You're all aware of the regrettable events of the past week. Gentlemen... We must decide whether or not to suspend opera for the balance of the season. I call on Commissioner Weston, who has kindly considered to come here this evening and advise me. Commissioner Weston. Uh, gentlemen, I'm placed in an awkward position. 
I realize that to close the opera house for the balance of the season will mean that a number of people will lose their jobs. Not only the stars, but many who can ill afford it. Stagehands, ushers, porters, extras, and many others who are necessary to an institution of this size. But, gentlemen, the question is, dare you continue? That is indeed the question, Commissioner. Gentlemen, Mr. Hagen Radkoff has also considered to appear before us this evening and give his opinion. Uh, Mr. Radkoff. Gentlemen, my heart is very sad. Not only because I lose my beautiful voice, but also these tragedies that happen when the opera Pagliaccia is sunk. But I do not think you have to close the opera house. It is only Pagliacci that was closed. Because if Pagliacci is never given again, these terrible accidents will finish. Yes, yes, that makes sense. Why couldn't we just eliminate Pagliacci? Because, gentlemen, these tragic events are not accidents. Who said that? I know that voice. The shadow is here. The shadow? Here? Yes, gentlemen. Here in the shadows. Shadow? What do you know about these tragedies in the opera? Enough, Commissioner Weston, to realize the person who started this reign of terror will never stop until he is brought to justice. You would be content for a time if you discontinued Pagliacci. But the burning, blistering hate that motivates him would force him to strike again and again. Look here, Shadow. If you have any information, you're obstructing justice in not turning it over to me. At present, Commissioner, I have only a theory... I will solve these tragedies for you within the next 48 hours. Commissioner Weston, I do not agree with the shadow. I believe Pagliacci is cursed, and that it is only that aria that will bring tragedy. Mr. Radkoff, although many times I don't agree with the shadow, I must admit he has helped me solve many tough cases. Thank you, Commissioner Weston. I will trap this killer for you if you'll do exactly as I say. Tomorrow night, you must once again give the opera Pagliacci. Gentlemen, have there not been tragedies enough? Shadow... What do you intend to do if Pagliacci is sung again? I cannot tell you my plans, Commissioner, but you must trust me. Remember, the shadow has never failed you yet. Well, gentlemen, though I hesitate to advise you to do this, nevertheless, in my opinion, this is a case for the shadow. Thank you again, Commissioner. But, Shadow, if there are any tricks... There will be none. Gentlemen, will you do as I ask? Will you give Pagliacci again a week from tonight? If you do so... Arrange to keep box seven vacant. For box seven will be occupied by the shadow. We, uh, we had best take a vote. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? No, no, never! I beg no. your pardon, Mr. Radkoff. You have no vote. Only the directors are entitled to vote. But you cannot do this. Pagliacci is cursed. It started by breaking my voice. Death will follow it every time. Mr. Radkoff, no, we know how you, you feel. Do... Understand uh, the strain you're under as a result of the recent events. Uh, but uh, try to calm yourself, I'd... sir. I'm sorry, gentlemen. I'm sorry. Uh, will one of you gentlemen assist uh, Mr. Radkoff to his home, yes, please? I'll be glad to. Calling Margot Lane. Calling Margot Lane. We have important work to be done tonight. Meet me in front of the opera house at 12.30. That is all. Good evening, Mike. Kind of nice tonight. Ah, uh, it is that. Sure hate to go inside and make me round. Well, Mike, aren't you a little scared having to guard the opera house at night after all them killings? <laughs> sure, I've been night watchman here at the opera house for going on eight years now. I ain't going to start trembling at this late date. Well, I guess you're safe as long as you don't start singing that uh, mystery song. Ah, never better hear that. Wearing of the Green is the only tune I ever sing. <laughs> well, good night, my lad. 
and let's make another inspection tour of the upper house. As it stays for service, this year after most is the darkest spot in the world. Who's that? I see you over there. Oh, I, I didn't know it was you, sir. Come here a minute, Mike. I want to show you something. Yes, sir, I was... Oh, oh don't do that, sir. Not to me. Oh, the knife, sir. I... No one will stand in my path. Now I will complete my work in box seven. So, the electric cord runs from the asbestos curtain, and I connect it here to the powder. Tomorrow, let the shadow call for them to lower the asbestos curtain, and his own words will seal his doom. He will blow the opera house to pieces. Well, Marco, the opera house isn't quite so glittering at this hour. Oh, so dark, it almost seemed haunted. It's haunted in a sense, Margot. Haunted perhaps by the ghost of the immortal Caruso come to sing at last duet with his great friend Shalyapi. Come on, look over there. The body on the floor. Oh, my watchman, instead. Killer struck again. Oh, Mon, when will this end? If my plans work tomorrow. We'll see this atrocious murderer brought to justice. But why? Why did he kill the watchman? Probably the watchman discovered him before we arrived. But you'd better go home now. I'll send an ambulance. Oh, Lamont, please be careful. Don't worry, Margot. The killer will not return tonight. He'll be here for tomorrow's opera. I have a ticket for you in box six. I will be in box seven. In the shadows. <laughs> Commissioner Weston. Well, Shadow, you don't seem to be able to do much about this opera killer. Thanks to my trust in you, the night watchman was almost killed last night. If someone hadn't given him first aid before the ambulance arrived, he'd surely have died. As it is, he'll only be... Well, he'll be unconscious for three days. Weston, I gave that watchman the necessary treatment that saved his life. I will unmask the killer tonight's performance of Pagliacci. There isn't going to be any performance of Pagliacci tonight. I'm going to force them to cancel it and close the opera house for the balance of the season. Weston, you can't do that. We'll only turn this atrocious killer into other channels. It's the breaking point now. Unless he is captured, he will soon terrorize every place of entertainment. The whole entertainment world. You must do as I say. I will see that no harm comes to anyone at tonight's performance. But only if you follow my instructions. Well, I'm a fool to trust you, Shadow. What do you want me to do? Arrange to have everyone connected with the opera company present at tonight's concert. All singers. Even the members of the board. You personally assign their seats to them station a plain clothes man on each side of every one of them. Well, all right, Shadow, I'll do it. But this is your last chance. Unless I underestimate this murderous madman, it is indeed my last chance, Commissioner. Goodbye. Why, my dear, I didn't expect to find you here, Cosmiachi. Aren't you terrified? No. I think the whole thing was only a series of unfortunate coincidences. After all, if there were any danger, they would hardly repeat the opera tonight. I heard a rumor that they were doing it at the request of the shadow. He guaranteed to catch the murderer tonight. Oh, isn't it thrilling? I can hardly wait until the fatal hour is sung. Is, uh... Everything all set, Cardona? Everyone connected with the opera company is present in the counter for Commissioner. I got two men detailed, each one of them. Don't seem to be no trouble so far. No. 
But the trouble never started until the closing area of the first act. Be on your toes. Yes, sir. Curtain going up. Curtain going up, ladies and gentlemen. This is the fatal area now. the rope, the control, the asbestos curtain. Yes, sir. Come along, you. Get back there and see no one touch that curtain. Now, Mr. Radcliffe. I? Yes, you. You look relieved. You didn't expect Commissioner Weston to order the asbestos curtain lowered, did you? What do you mean? You didn't want it lowered until you had a chance to escape out of the theater yourself. Uh, why should I want to leave the theater? Because you know that if the curtain were lowered, it would operate a switch and explode the dynamite you planted in this box. He lies! The shadow himself planted the gunpowder in that box. He is the guilty one. Very clever, Radkoff. But how did you know there was gunpowder? I said there was dynamite. Radkoff, you were the killer who has been terrorizing the opera house. That's a lie, a lie. You were also one of the few who knew that the shadow would be in box seven. Radkoff, you are guilty. <laughs> yes, yes, I did it. I did it. I lost my voice in this opera. And with it, my chance to be the greatest to ever sing Pagliacci. But I swore then I would be the last that nobody else would sing it. I would have been too if it weren't for you. Curse your shadow! Ladies and gentlemen, this is the last of the opera murders. The stone has sunk at last to the bottom of the pond and the ripples are ended. The curse of this opera and the dangers attached to the performance have been removed. The people of this city may again enjoy the beauty of the music drama without fear of death. dramatized version of one of the many copyrighted stories which appear in the Shadow Magazine, now on sale at your local newsstand. <laughs> the weed of crime bears bitter fruit.
shadow knows. All the characters and all the places named are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Lone Ranger, followed by Fibber McGee and Molly. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.